for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me. Help me to just be faithful to your word as I, as I unpack your scriptures. I, I pray that you would help me to be um, just, just wise beyond what I actually am, Lord, and um, help me to, to bring out the treasures that, that you have for us in, in your psalms, Lord. And I, I pray that the folks who are here would hear from you, that you would touch their hearts and their minds and, and help them to draw into your presence and, and to know you more through just through hearing the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are we're in Psalms. We're in Psalm 2 specifically. I, I've decided uh, before I retire, I would like to preach the entire book of Psalms. So I, I'm going to do about five a year for the next 25 years. And if you show up every Sunday, you'll probably catch all of them. Got it? <laughs> uh, I, before I start in on this, um, I was uh, coming home from the gym this morning. And I, as I was coming home from the gym, I, I was thinking about... Um, about going to the gym. I don't know, does anybody else torture themselves this way? Um, uh, about 15 years ago, I was, I was maybe 80 pounds overweight, and I, I snored really badly, and if I had to run anywhere, it was usually to the fridge. Um, and I, I, had to, I had to rest when I got there. Uh, fortunately, you can open the fridge and it cools you down. It's very nice. Um, but I, I, I had all of these negative side effects from, from being kind of overweight. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Um, and, and I remember how much those, like, negative effects, like, like how I, I was kind of enslaved to them to a degree. You know, you can't get away from the fact that you're tired all the time, right? You can't get away from indigestion. You can't get away from, you know, being hungry at four in the morning for no good reason. <laughs> like, like, these are things that just live with you because you, you are your body. I mean, like, your body is... is pretty much it. And so, you know, if you have these negative effects, they go with you. And, and as I've gotten older... Um, I, I've noticed that um, it actually takes a whole lot more work. Does anybody understand this? Because, like, I, I had worked out pretty consistently for several months. Every morning, I would get up at four and I'd go to the gym and, and do my thing, and I'd come home. And then I, I went to Israel and I, I stopped working out for about two months. And, and then one day, my wife said, You know what, Eric? I hadn't noticed it, but you started snoring again. And I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, like, and I know that's a sign I've, I've gained weight. And suddenly, like, like, I lost that belt loop I gained. I gained a belt loop. Anyway, I, I, but it's the craziest thing because, um, you know, it's not like you get to this point where you say, well, you're done. I'm done with the gym. I have lost my weight. I am finished. Right? It, it's not. It's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's, it's more of a death march. Like, it goes forever. Um <laughs> And, and so, like, like, as I get into this text, um, the, 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 the thing I want you to have in mind coming into this is, um, we sometimes think of, you know, well, I have to get up and go to the gym, I have to get up and do this, I have to, you know, and it becomes this have to, but um, if it wasn't that, it'd be something else that I was paying out to, right? Like, like one or the other is going to be collecting from me, one or the other is going to own me. And, and I have to decide which one I want. And the reason I start with this is because Psalm 2 is all about who is, who is in charge and who we submit to, right? And so as we get into that, um, like, like this is the mindset. Who owns you? Like, like who do you obey? Who do you work for? Who runs the show? A little uh, background. This is one of David's psalms. It's probably one of the oldest psalms. It was written... Um, specifically for coronations is the general assumption. So when they would coronate a new king, 
Like you would become a new king, and you'd have this coronation. They were, would sing this song as a part of that coronation, right? And, and it would have been like a very special occasion kind of song. And um, part of what goes into this, like King David had a contract, like a covenant with God. And God said, listen, you, you know, you're going to be king here. You know, if you, if you follow me, if you do what, what, what I'm calling you to do, like your children, like one of your children will always be on the throne in Israel, right? That's a good promise. Um, there's a bunch of other promises, um, but amongst them, he says, David, like, if you follow me, I, I'm, you are my son then. Like, and, and the assumption is, like, this is a song they would sing where they would talk about the king being the son of God, right? Like, a, like, like brought into God's family. Um, the word they use is kind of adoption, but we'll get into it when we get into it. So that's a huge deal, like, as we understand this song. And, and so as we begin to look at it, um, that's going to shade a lot of it, this contract God made with, with his people. And this is a reminder of that contract. Um, a little like my wife and I have uh, wedding rings, right? And when I don't lose mine, um, the, or when she doesn't lose hers, I can actually say that for a change, um, they, they are a reminder that we're married. If I lose mine, we're still married, but it's always there as a reminder, right? And to ward off other women. Um, the, the, this is one of several royal psalms, is what they're called, which are psalms about the king of Israel at the time. And these royal psalms, they're actually, there's a cool little bit of, of trivia here. It's not trivia, it's, it's big. Um, as the book of Psalms progresses, because it wasn't all written at once, right? It was written over the course of a long period of time with multiple writers. And when you get like further along, as Israel changes, they had David and a united monarchy where the whole country was one. And then like a while later, the country split in half. And then a while after that, they went into exile. Another country came in and conquered them and like executed the king. And, and you know, the, they, they suddenly didn't have a king. And the royal songs change. And they go from singing about a king personally, like a human king, and eventually they stop using the word king to apply to anybody over Israel, and they only apply it to God. Isn't that interesting? Because the people went from believing God's promise, right? We will have a human king in the line of David forever. And then, like, after, after a certain point, like, all the songs that follow it are all sad. Where they're like, God, where are you? You know, so they'd sing about God's promise, and they're like, God, are you going to keep your promise in the next song? Hey, God, are you going to come along and follow through with what you said? Because they're like, where's our king? Give him back. And then, um, finally, like, they just don't even sing about a king anymore. They give up. Like, and so it's a, it's a big thing as we go forward, because it traces out the story of Jesus. And we'll, we'll dig into that as we get further. It's just, I'm trying to give a, a lot of background up front, so I don't have to do it later. Um, there are multiple books within the Psalms, like it's divided up into chunks. There's usually a royal psalm at the beginning of each one. Um, so we're going to jump in, Psalm 2-1, right? Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? So um, this is a, actually a line that is quoted uh, in other spots in the New Testament, right? Like in the New Testament. And the idea here is um, the scene that's set is a coronation. And, and this new king is being coronated, right? And the nations around them are in rebellion um, or are starting to talk together about rebelling. And, and they're sort of, if you sort of put your mind into it, it's like they're putting the crown on the new king and the guys in the crowd are like, man, why do we follow this guy? 
Hey, I bet we could break away. I bet we could start our own thing. I bet we could rise up and throw off the chains these guys have put on us. Like, and, and the psalmist starts out asking, what is up with you guys? Like, why would you rebel? Why would you cry out against God? And we, we do that sometimes, right? Um, God, God blesses us in huge ways. Um, like, through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins, right? Like, Jesus comes and lives this perfect life and is, like, executed on our behalf, and we are forgiven for our sins. Like, and that is a huge deal. But the, 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 the other end of that is we become Jesus' followers. And I've talked to people along the way who've said, you know what, I, I just don't want to follow Jesus. Like, I, I believe and I, you know, but I, I don't really want to follow him. And, and that's the idea here is, like, yeah, we know that you're king, but we're not really interested in dealing with you, right? And so these are the nations that are throwing off the shackles. Um, a little background there. The people of Israel in the very beginning of the monarchy assumed that one day they would rule the whole world. Completely believed it was going to happen, right? And so they're talking, this song is anticipatory, um, and they didn't actually ever end up ruling the whole world, like spoiler. Um, but, but they assumed it would happen, and so they're, they're talking forward to this. Uh, I had a line from Max I was going to use. We're going to skip over it, actually, because it doesn't fit well with where I'm going now. Um, um, so Psalm 2, 2 to 3. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now, um, as, as a secular nation thing, like there's multiple ways to read this, right? As a secular nation thing, the idea would be, well, we don't want to deal with Israel, so we're going to kick them to the curb. And, and sometimes people want to turn um, this psalm into something that's about the nations today and about following. This is, early on, this was about nations, and it was about national rule and about like this, this theocracy that Israel had. Um, my argument here is that this begins to shift, and it applies to us a lot more, Right? Like, we look around and we say, well, these are the expectations God has, or these are the standard, like, moral things, or this is what God wants out of me, or this is what following Jesus means, um, this is what submitting my life to him means, but, man, that's a lot of work. Or, man, I just don't want to do it. Or, you know what would be really fun right now? Anybody have things like that? I mean, there are a lot of things that are just a lot more fun than dealing with God. There are. I, I, uh, I'm going to use my comparison here, Right? Getting up at four in the morning to go to the gym is not fun, right? I, I realized if I roll over and I curl up with my wife, I can, like, sleep next to her for that last hour, and that is a lot better than running on a treadmill. A whole lot better, right? Um, you have to take my word for it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Rebecca. Um, um, but the, the point being... Um, if I make that decision, I choose to, to be enslaved to my, to my degradation as an older man, right? Like I start to get out of shape really quickly, and I start to gain weight really quickly, and I start dealing with the problems of that. Um, these folks are looking at God, and they're saying, why do we submit to him? Why do I do this? Honestly, why? why? I, I've talked to guys over the last, well, golly, uh, 20 years I've been working in, in ministry, and I've talked to people all over the place who will say, you know what, I know I should go to church. I, I know Jesus died for me. I know I want this. But you know what, I, I just don't want to do that at this point in my life. You know, I've talked to guys who, you know, I love my wife, but 
Um, the internet has some cool things to offer, and I think I could probably do both. Or um, I, I know that God takes care of me, and I know that I should be thankful, but I work hard, and maybe I should be a little more thankful to me than I should be to God. I mean, like, they, and these are, I'm kind of just grabbing things out, but, like, there are all these ways that we choose to rebel, right? To say, well, God, I know you're in charge. I know you got it nailed down, but I think I can handle this. Or I think I can be in control of this. I think I can hold on to the wheel for a little while. I'm not going to start saying, Jesus, take the wheel or anything crazy like that. They shut my microphone off. I hate that song. Um, <laughs> the point being that um, part of what Jesus calls us to do is live in submission, like to live with him as our Lord, right? We are free in Christ, but our freedom in Christ comes with, comes with a connection to him, right? Um, it comes with a relationship to him. Um, so we go on. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. So now I, I, I love the way that this guy, this is David writing. Um, I love the way David writes this because David says... God hears these people complaining, hears these people saying, well, let's throw off our bonds, and he, and he laughs at him, and he's like, who are you guys? You, you think you're going to win this fight? You, you really think this is going to work out for you? And in the ancient context where they thought this was about nations, I mean, ultimately, when people would fight against God's people, God had a habit of winning in spectacular ways. I mean, and in really spectacular ways. You, you can look at, uh, in the later kingdoms, when, when uh, Babylon, or no, uh, because it, well, anyway, the army around Israel, sorry, I'm drawing a blank at the moment, um, there's an army around Jerusalem sieging the nation, and Isaiah comes to the king and says, well, if you repent, he'll save you. The king repents, and that very night a disease strikes the enemy army, and like they wake up in the morning and have them have leprosy or something, and they're like, well, we need to get out of here before the rest of us start dying off and we don't have an army anymore, so the army leaves, and God wins on their behalf, right? Like, like God, we can't rise up against him effectively, um, in the ancient world, when we talk about armies and nations, ultimately throwing off like God's yoke was not going to work out. And God laughs and he scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, the other way we can read this is, and honestly, I've talked to guys who've said, it's going to work out better for me without Jesus in my life. And I can almost hear God laughing about it. You really think so? You really think you're going to go your own way real quick? Anybody ever do that? Say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take this my way and have it sort of blow up in your face. And you're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have rebelled. Maybe I should have stuck with what God's plan was for me. I was like, me? Really? Two. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody else is smarter than you and me, man. Um, God laughs at them. Hey, who, what do you think you're going to do here? And so he goes on, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Zion is a mountain that's just off to the side of Jerusalem, and the idea here is that God has put a king there. In the original context, the original Jew, Jewish folks would read this, and they would get this idea that this is the Davidic king. This like descendant of David is king there, and this king God has installed is going to, is going to take care of business, Right? In the long run, what we come to understand is that this king instilled in Zion on his holy mountain, like it's Jesus, right? 
God's king that he puts in place over us, over the whole of creation, is Jesus. And so as the world laughs and says, we're going to rebel and we're going to throw off the chains, God says, you know what? I've sent my king. I've sent my son, ultimately, and I will will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Um, This phrasing is a very English version. Um, The the, uh, traditional translation is usually, I've begotten you. Right? And we know that. I'm sure you've heard that. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Right? Or uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. That's where this like, like idea is, is rooted. And we see it quoted a few times in the New Testament, most notably in Hebrews, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but he says, you know, you, you're my son. Um, for a king to become a son of God, to be adopted... Um, but it's actually more than just adoption. The word has that weight to it, that begotten. It's got weight to it like adoption, but it means more than that. It means like they've been reborn into something new, right? Or birthed in a divine way. And so like God is taking on these people as this, this whole other, whole other like, like, um, class of people. Um, and this is taken very seriously. Like David was hunted by Saul. Saul was the previous king. He was anointed by God as king. And David like, had an opportunity to kill Saul. Saul had an army out looking for David. In, and and in, like David had this opportunity to rise up and kill Saul, and he doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it because he says, well, you know, it's God's anointed. That's God's man. I can't do that. And God never said, like, you are my son about Saul. He said it about David and about David's descendants. And so as we look at this, like, this idea here, it's huge. The idea that God would adopt a son to himself. Um, but this is a precursor to Jesus. And it's a huge deal. Um, and I'll, I'll real quick sketching, okay? Follow me here. First Jewish guy was Abraham, right? Wow. <laughs> is everyone sleeping already? Did I? Did we, <laughs> first Jewish guy was a fellow named Abraham, and God made an agreement with Abraham. If you follow me, you go where I tell you to go. I will give you a son. Your descendants will be more numerous than the grains of sand on the beach, and the whole world will be blessed through your descendant. That whole world blessed through your descendant is Jesus, right? Um, the second covenant God makes with his people is through Moses. And, like, what God does is he comes along and he makes an adjustment to that original contract. He says, you know what? Um, Those of you who are following me and doing the circumcision as a sign of it and all this, like, these are my people, but this is what it means to have a relationship with me, and I'm going to judge you based on how well you keep your end of the contract. And you get the, the whole of the law then, the Ten Commandments and, like, the... 600 other regulations in the book of Deuteronomy. These are how you follow me, you know, and it includes, you know, the dietary rules and everything else. And so God comes up with this big, like, in-depth contract. This is what it means, and I'll judge you based on your behavior. David comes along, and this adoption as son is a big deal because what happens is God goes from judging Israel based on their behavior to judging Israel based on the behavior of their king. And so when the king repents of sin the people get saved, right? When the king rebels, the people pay for it. And so, like, this is a big deal. That's a big deal, especially because when Jesus shows up and Jesus lives a perfect life, right, God judges Jesus for our behavior. He changes the contract one more time. And then the king is judged for the behavior of his people, and the people are judged for the behavior of their king, and we're forgiven. 
right? This psalm and this whole progression of what we expect out, or what the Jewish people expected out of a king, was setting up the coming of Christ. It's sort of the legal background. Um, I know we all love talking law code, um, but we have to move on. <laughs> For which, or excuse me, this is Hebrews 1.5, and what's going on in Hebrews is the author is arguing about Jesus' superiority, and he says Jesus is superior to everything that ever was. He is superior to the angels because, for, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The first one is a quote from uh, uh, that psalm. The second one is uh, from, I believe, 1 Samuel, but I'm not completely certain off the top of my head. Um, And what he's saying is, listen, Jesus is unique and special and above because he's God's son. Like, and God never, I mean, he he said it to these kings, but he didn't say it to the way, like, the way that he says it to Jesus. Like, that was the groundwork. It was pointing forward, like a big neon sign. You all ever drive cross country? Jimmy just did. Did you see any wall drug signs? Oh, so you all know what I'm talking about, right? If you go to, like, Maine, there are wall drug signs in Maine, and it's in North Dakota? South Dakota, I'm sorry. I don't even read billboards. I, <laughs> but there are, I mean, there's one in Florida. Like, these billboards for wall drug, and you get there, and it's like, this is it? Really? Um, but the billboards point forward to the real wall drug, um, which is somewhat underwhelming. Don't, don't blame me or yell at me. Um, <laughs> but... But they're all pointing forward to him. The billboard isn't wall drug, right? It's not like I can stand in Maine on the coast and, you know, wow, wall drug is just a big sign right here. It's not. It's pointing forward. David, right? God's contract with David is a big wall drug sign pointing forward to Jesus. Admittedly, like, like thousands of years later, right? But the signs point for thousands of miles, so whatever. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry, I can't preach billboards. Um, the, back to the text. Like, what the, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, God said this about these guys, but he was always saying it about Jesus. It was always about Jesus coming. And so when we look at Psalm 2, we worship God in this psalm, but this psalm is all about Jesus coming and about the world rejecting and rebelling and throwing off the chains and going their own way. And God's laughing and saying, you know what? I'm sending my son. I'm going to put my king out there. Um, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. He's talking to Jesus. And, and, and the ends, the, the, excuse me, your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them like pieces of pottery. So in the original context, the Hebrews would have heard this and they're like, yep, nations stand up to us, we're going to run them over, right? We are, we are the steamroller. Um, now we look at this and we recognize that there's a couple of like iterations of this. Um, Anybody ever stand up proud and believe you have your life nailed down only to have it all disintegrate in front of you and realize you need Jesus really bad? Well, like three of us. <laughs> and, and that's it, too. I mean, sometimes God lets us smash ourselves. And then he picks up the pieces and makes us new. Right? Oh, and it, I, I'm here to tell you as a guy who's done this once really spectacularly... <laughs> Um, it is awful, right? But on the far end of it, I think, man, I'm really glad that happened. I, I would rather be broken by Jesus and put back together 
like a new creation than be my own man, living my own way, rebelling against God, because there's no future in that. There's no joy in it. There's no life in it. It is, it is death. I talk about going to the gym being a death march. Living without Jesus is a, I mean, it's a march to nowhere. Um, to the ends of the earth will be your possession. Break them with a rod of iron and will dash them to pieces like pottery. One of the references I read associated with this is from Revelation where it talks about the king on the white horse and like the, 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 from his sword was a, was a, from his mouth was a sword that would break, you know, the nations. I, I always read that and I, I'm not, I don't want to get into why this version of Revelation understanding is better than that one. I, I do want to throw out there this idea. The words of Jesus sometimes cut me so deep I can hardly stand it. Isn't it true? I mean, I mean, pick them, right? Like um, anybody who calls their fool is guilty. Call, calls their brother a fool is guilty of murder, right? Like to hate your brother is is the equivalent of being violent against him. Man, I'm not even quoting word for word, but like anybody ever carry around a grudge and then read that and think, well, maybe I'm wrong. Um, any man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, that's a hard one, isn't it? Um, the reality is that this smashing with a rod, like if you're lucky, it happens It happens just where your heart and your will get broken and you get brought back to him. You know, you become his inheritance. You become his possession. Um, this thing that God has promised to him. If you're unlucky, it, it goes other routes um, where, where you come under his judgment and that's the, not the place you want to be. Uh, 10 to 12, last verses, right? Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Um, in the original context, this was the expectation. There would be this great nation. They would subject everybody around them to their will. In our lives, I'm telling you guys, follow Jesus with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Um, what does it mean to follow God with fear? It means to take it seriously. Not take it a little seriously. Take it big seriously. Um, I was reading a quote from uh, uh, Benny Hinn. Um, and I, I have nothing nice to say about Benny Hinn at all. Um, but he said, you know what? This, this prosperity gospel we preach, which is evil. I mean, it just is. He didn't say that, but I'm saying it. It is evil. He said, well, there's parts of it in the Bible, but some of us have gone way beyond it. And I'll admit I have too. He knows he's teaching something that's not gospel because he acknowledges it in his statement, but he continues to do it. That is not following Jesus with fear, is it? Um, I, I'll tell you one of the biggest, easiest things to do, and I'll bring it back to my gym analogy. This morning I stole four cookies from Keeley's box, and they were delicious. In fact, Keeley, they were some of the best cookies I've eaten in ages. And I've heard that stolen cookies taste better. That may be it. <laughs> but you know what? I worked out for 45 minutes this morning. But guess what? Like those cookies, like the workout, like it doesn't balance out, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm not going to make progress if I do one and the other. Um, there's sometimes this attitude that I can walk with Jesus and do this and God will be cool with it. Guess what? That's not following him with fear. It's not taking it seriously, right? That's not handling it um, with, with the reverence and the seriousness that God calls us to have. I, I was with a guy uh, a couple of months ago who had a pistol with him. And he was, 
we're a group of us talking and looking at this pistol, and he's like waving it around as he's talking, and I'm standing in front of him, and I'm like, hey, could you point that up? And <laughs> finally, I'm like, hey, can you give that to me? And so I took it from him, because I, I was taught you never point a pistol at somebody else, ever, for any reason. You point it down, you point it up, you don't like, oh, hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> you know, like, it, you just don't do that. And I said, when I took the pistol from him, is this loaded? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and so I checked, and it wasn't. I love this guy. I'm not knocking on him. But I handle a firearm with a great deal of fear in my heart. Right? I, I would not wave a pistol at somebody. Um, I Not casually, at a minimum. <laughs> um, but... But it's easy to just forget and handle it lightly. And sometimes we handle God lightly and say, you know what, God's cool with this. Um, sometimes we don't take him seriously. Does that mean we have to live in fear and not have a relationship with him? No. No. It means that we take him seriously because he's not someone to be taken lightly. Um, I was talking with somebody this week about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. These are some of my favorite books. And in the books there's this character, Aslan, who's a lion. And the kids in the story hear about Aslan, and the first thing they say is, wait a minute, he's a lion? Is he safe? And the response is, no, he's a lion. What kind of lion is safe? But he's good. And the obvious implication is, if you're going to be around a lion, you act right, right? You, you take it seriously. Um, the Lord is good, the Lord loves us, but the Lord is serious. The Lord is holy. The Lord calls us to be holy. Jesus didn't die for us. Jesus didn't die for us to get drunk regularly. Jesus didn't die for us to cheat on our wives. Jesus didn't die for us to steal. Jesus didn't die for us to ignore him. Jesus didn't die for us, I mean, so that he could be cool with it. Like, oh, he's fine. He didn't die for that. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I'm saying, listen, we take Jesus seriously because he loves us, because he died for us. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. Um, this is a weird verse by Western standards, right? Um, in the ancient world, and actually it's still the case today in parts of the Middle East, um, you would go and you would kiss a person to indicate that you were subservient to them, right? And in fact, I read about, um, I, I showed pictures on my Facebook page of that city, what's it? Oh, shoot, Petra. Um, the original discovery of Petra, for a long time, this ancient city was kept by the Bedouins like a secret. And if people like, came too close to it, they would attack them and kill them so that nobody would find out Petra was there because they basically like, lived in the ruins. And they thought if the Westerners figure it out, if the English find it, like, we'll lose it. And actually that happened. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. But um, this English officer wrote about going... In, in, and being in the region near Petra and a, a group of riders approaching the camp they were in and um, the leader of these riders came out and all of the guys who were there, the natives, like the, not natives, I guess the Bedouins that were with him, went out and kissed the leader of this raiding party. And the implication was, dude, you're in charge, please don't kill us. Right? <laughs> hey, I am subservient. Um, and we still see some of this today, right? Like, you ever see the, the Pope? I, we're not Catholic, obviously. Um, but, like, they, they would kiss the Pope's rings. 
right? Like that's kind of a descendant of this idea. It's showing fealty. It's showing subservience. When it says, kiss the son or he'll be angry to you, what he's saying is demonstrate that you belong to him. Demonstrate that he is boss. Like show your subservience to him like as a part of your lifestyle because like that's what he calls us to be, right? Like he, he calls us to be his friend. He calls us to be his brothers. But he also calls us to be his people, um, and your way will lead to your destruction, whether it's a destruction in the here and now or if it's a destruction in eternity, right? Like, we have to take Jesus seriously. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Um, real quick, his wrath can flare up in a moment. One of the things that we know about Jesus, about God, like in general, is that God is long-suffering. God will put up with our garbage for a long time. Anybody experience that? Is it just me? (laughs) Like, God will put up with a lot, and he will let us go a long way. And I can remember times in my life where it seemed like I had everything under control on my own, and suddenly, it all turned, right? And I thought I had it nailed down, and all of a sudden, everything fell apart. And it's like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not in charge. Um, God will sometimes be very patient with us to turn on our own, but then we'll stop and, you know, wake up. Um, we have to take it seriously. Um, blessed are all who take refuge in him, meaning if you take refuge in the Son, if you take refuge in, in God's Savior for us, like, like, you are safe. Even if this world kills you, you're safe. Um, Jesus had 12 disciples, 13 if you count Paul, right? Uh, Judas hanged himself. Um, the, other, the other 12, right, if you count Paul, Uh, John died of natural causes in prison in his 90s. Possibly he may have been boiled in oil at some point in time before then. Um, The other guys, heads cut off, whipped to death, beaten with clubs, stoned, thrown off a cliff, I think one of them, um, etc. Peter was crucified upside down after the Romans forced him to watch his wife be crucified. Like, like, taking refuge in Jesus doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It means eternity belongs to you, right? It means that you are his forever and ever and ever. And that's why we take it seriously. Taking it seriously is taking refuge. My challenge to you this week um, is to eat lunch quickly so we can have our meeting because there's snow drifts. But also, (laughs) my challenge to you this week is to back up and look and ask yourself, am I grumbling when the time comes, Right? When the time comes to be obedient, when temptation is there, when I desire to do things that are what my heart desires, am I I grumbling about doing it? Or am I plotting against this part of my life? Am I inching up to temptation saying, well, I can just get a little closer, it'll be all right. I can get a little closer, it'll be all right. I can get a little closer, it'll be all right. Before you know it, you've fallen on your face. Um, Like, what are you doing? Are you walking seriously or are you rebelling? Are you hitting the snooze button when it's time to get up in the morning and spend time with them? I say that. That's my gym metaphor, by the way. I hit the snooze button <laughs> pretty consistently. Um, are you getting up and doing, doing the work of following him? Are you walking with him? By the way, when I say the work of following him or belonging to him, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You can't earn it. I'm talking about putting time in in your relationship. Um, I took my wife on a date this week. 
Um, I just say that to make myself better, look better as a husband, but also to make the point that, like, there's actual value in dating your wife. Right? Wives, back me up here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's actually, that is putting the work in in your relationship, right? Because a lot of husbands will put the work in up front, and then you get married, and it's like, well, I already bought the car. I'm not saving up to buy it again. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, that was, that was crass. I didn't mean to. <laughs> um, but are you putting the work in? Um, are you obeying Jesus? Are you following him? Are you cultivating a relationship with him? Are you being obedient in other areas of your lives? By the way, husbands, I talked about this, I think, last week, or it was two weeks ago. Um, you're calling to act like Jesus to your wife and family. You're calling to pastor your wife and family. You're calling to be the spiritual leader in your home. Like, all of this stuff is a huge deal and not to be taken lightly, right? We're to serve our families. That, that's part of this equation, right? Are you being Jesus to your family? Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you sacrificing? Are you being that guy? Because otherwise, like, like, that would be not doing the job. That would be hitting the snooze button. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to go eat lunch. Uh, and you should stop that now. Uh, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that um, you would help us to uh, just to, to, to wake up and follow you and not to grumble about the things you call us to do. Um, even though they're hard sometimes, Lord, help us to, to dig deep and find a heart to have, you know, like just a desire to serve you. Help us to have a heart that loves you, that, that you know, is willing to sacrifice for you and be your be yours, Lord. And I pray in areas where we struggle, that we're, we're stiff-necked or hard-hearted, that, that you would break us gently um, and remake us into your people. In Jesus' name, amen.